Bill Simmons hosts the most downloaded sports podcast of all time with a rotating crew of celebrities, athletes, media staples, and a slew of other friends and family members who always happen to be available. Check out the Bill Simmons podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by CarMax. At CarMax, the best way to buy a car is your way. Choose from over 50,000 CarMax certified vehicles at CarMax.com and buy online or in-store with curbside pickup and home delivery in select markets. Get all the details today at CarMax.com. This episode is brought to you by Nutro Natural Choice Dog Food. Everything dogs do, they give their 100%. Feed them food to help them keep giving it their all with Nutro Natural Choice Dog Food. Nutro. Feed clean. Learn more at Nutro.com. Made with non-GMO ingredients. Trace amounts may be present due to potential cross-contact during manufacturing. Hi, everyone. I hope you're well. Today is a special episode about my dear friend, David Rowcastle. So we're going to start the show a little differently. Driven first time, it might go anywhere, Rowcastle! Arsenal! Are through the Wembley! An amazing comeback is complete! What can I say about my friend, David Rowcastle? My teammate, my brother. Rocky, number seven, legend. What a talent. He, he had the skill of a Brazilian, the heart of a lion. He could do it all. Footovers, goals, crosses, the lot. So good to play with. Oh, missed completely by Webb. Rowcastle, a central figure again. And he looks to trip Schmeichel. And it's in. A goal for Arsenal. David Rowcastle fired the bar. And I think the back of the Manchester United goalkeeper. He was an outstanding player, technically very gifted, could tackle, could run, uh, can pass. Rocky was quite easily the best all-round wide player I ever witnessed. Thomas playing it to Rowcastle. It struck oh, a fabulous goal by Rowcastle. And there indeed is the equaliser. What a fabulous strike by David Rowcastle. Spotted by Michael Thomas, a ball sprayed superbly by him. So little space, but hit with such venom. And Arsenal are level. We used to uh, walk up the park with a few friends of mine. We used to come and play on the swings because we were younger players, younger lads, and we didn't want to join in with the big boys. And they used to see us, and they uh, never used to have a goalkeeper because they all wanted to be Palais and Maradona on the pitch. So uh, we used to be walking past, and it used to be one of them. Oi, get over here, get in goal. And obviously, we were only little kids at the time. That was the early days of remembering Ian. When he used to be in goal, then all of a sudden, he'd <laughs> get the ball at 10 and just go through everyone. You know what I mean? That's when you realised that he was good, but even then, watching what he was able to do in that, I didn't realise it, it was going to go like it did for him. The 
first time I met Rocky was at an end of season dinner for Arsenal in 1987. Never forget, he walked over halfway through the dinner and introduced himself to this young, good-looking boy. And you know, we spoke like a captain, like a 30-year-old who'd been around forever, whereas he was still a teenager at the time. He could run all day, he was quick, he could score great goals, he could score tappings, he could head it, he could tackle. He could dribble, he could pass, he could cross the ball. Now we're playing at Southampton and that was one of my greatest days. Someone put me through, had the shot, Rocky comes in, gets the rebound. And that's that picture with me on the floor with my arms up and Rocky running over to me. I was just, just happy that I was involved. Thanks to Limpart, Rocastle's got a lot of room in which to work here. Right going to the right. On Rocastle! Rocastle's goal, and Ian Wright played a major part in it. More than anything, he was a special person, Rocky. He really was, and anybody that came into contact with him, I'm sure, would agree. Magnificent player and person. He was a beautiful, lovely, caring human being, and I miss him a lot, and I'm sure everybody else does. Most of all, mate, he was just a great, great man. Yeah, I miss him every day. Uh, I love the guy. Wonderful, wonderful man. I miss him. I love him to bits. Wish he was still here now. everybody and welcome to Wrighty's House on Ringer FC. Hope you're all staying safe and well. As I mentioned before, that little audio montage, today is a special episode about my dear friend David Rocastle who passed away 20 years ago. So we'll be reminiscing about him as a player, a person and an Arsenal legend. And my guests today are Ryan Hunt and the wonderful, um, a dear friend of mine. How you doing, Ames? Oh, Ian, I'm I'm good. Uh, all the better for <laughs> seeing your smiling face and hearing your happy voice. I should tell about Amy Lawrence, by the way, everybody. Um, and the reason why I say Ames is because there is only one Ames in my life, and it's Amy Lawrence. Ames, how are you doing? I was, we were just talking quickly off camera about um, about Arsenal, my worries. But how are you feeling at the moment? Just quickly, optimistic about things, or or what? I think it's. It's just that kind of mixed feeling that has been impossible to shake for a few years. You know, I. I I always feel with Arsenal that they're quite good at the moment at lulling you into a sense that they might turn a corner and then you yeah. get to the corner and then they sort of reverse back again. And then, and then a West Ham <laughs> performance comes from nowhere. Yeah, so I, I, I'm pining for a period of what I would call like proper consistent progress yeah. that's not like yeah. interrupted by some foolish self-inflicted mm. slip. 
So one of these days, um, instead of just having a really good week, it'll be a really good month. And really that'll good month, be yeah. a good sign. Nice one. Right, how are you feeling, my friend? Everything cool? All right, thanks, man. How are you? A bit melancholy. Yeah, but... You, know, you kind of feel like that because it's been... Um, because with, with all the stuff, because obviously we're doing this special David Rollcastle episode and it's been an unbelievable week. I was just telling you about Martin Keown. Even just to do a, a message, just a message, <laughs> it just complicated it so much. Let's do it together. Well, what do you think I should do this with? And in the end, unfortunately, you know, we didn't get one from him and he was very, he was, he was, he was close to him. I'll, I'll deal with that. But it's been a really, um, it's been a, a tough week. Mm. You know, um, going back and doing all this, and people constantly talking to me, constantly asking me about him in twenty years. Even when I sent the messages to the guys, and the guys sent me messages, you know what I mean? They go into that mode as well. But like, honestly, I'm getting to the stage now when I think of David Rocastle, where I'm so happy. I just feel I think I must because of the age I'm at and and how young we were when it all started to where we actually where I am now, where he was, and where we were going to be. And it's very difficult to not think of him. You know, because he, he died, he, he died at such a young age for me at 33, how we'd be now. It's really, really difficult. It's a, it's a tough one for me. It's funny because I, a bit like you, uh, Ian, I, I spent quite a lot of this past week talking to, to people about David and it's, it's like time travel. It's like yeah. going back to a, to a different period of your life where things felt, um, in a, in a way compared to the kind of modern age, a bit more real, a bit more, uh, how can I say, you know, without sort of social media and all that nonsense, you know, when you met people, if you were connected with them, you were their mate and you just did stuff. And yeah. it was a, a sort of simpler, more beautiful time in a way. And maybe that's just rose tinted spectacles, but talking to a lot of people about Dave, it does bring it all back. And the way that you, I think consistently over all these years have kept that flame burning is something incredibly touching and meaningful. You know, it's not now because it's an anniversary. It's every day with you. Mm -hmm. And that is the thing that means the most. But just on that note, I, I spoke to a couple of people who you, you'll know well mm. from back in the day at Arsenal. Uh, these are members of staff who joined in the late 80s when Rocky was breaking through, uh, Lynn Cheney and Joe yeah. Harney, yeah. who were, ended up being mates with all the players around that time. And they still work at the club. Mm. And they... They turned around and said, um, especially for you, Ian, that actually if, if David was still here, it's like you, you do a great job being Mr. Arsenal. You know, everyone kind of looks to you. Yeah. But it was like, actually, they were like, actually, sorry, Ian, but David would have been Mr. Arsenal. <laughs> Absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt. The way he represented mm. the club, the love that he had, that old word of class that was something that was always associated with, yeah. with Highbury and Arsenal, that era. He would have been the perfect, you know, when you see an ex-player who's wearing the Arsenal suit now, probably traveling with them and doing mm. David Rowcastle and the way the fans, every time they see him, they would be so happy to see him. He would have been the perfect ambassador at Arsenal right now. Perfect. The way he was, when you hear how people speak about him, unbelievable ambassador for us. I, it's not something that I say, no, but I, I would still be like an, an Mr. Arsenal, because I don't see myself as Mr. Arsenal. I still see Tony Adams as Mr. Arsenal. See people like David as Mr. Arsenal. I've just now got myself to a situation in my life where I just love the club even more, even though, you know, I've, I've, so di like, I've, I've stopped playing so long ago. You actually forgot that I actually played <laughs> to a certain extent, but I love the club and everything about what's happening with them, the results and everything. It's so ingrained 
And literally it happened, like I say, in, in early 80s when David Rowcastle signed for Arsenal. It's absolutely because of him. Because literally everybody in the estate started supporting Arsenal because when we were younger, no one from that estate, no one from anywhere, I don't think anyone from around our, our side there was at a football club. We all played football, wasn't at a football club. But for him to be at Arsenal, and the thing is, is remember we all used to watch out because of Charlie George's celebration in the FA Cup. That's the only thing we knew of Arsenal. We only saw Arsenal as a massive club and David was there. I was a little bit apprehensive, not apprehensive, I was a little bit nervous about doing this morning because you two have obviously met him, knew him, knew, know his family, stuff like that. And I was strictly a fan and quite a young mm. fan actually, but he's always meant something a little bit extra to me than a lot of Arsenal players have, weirdly. And I know that it's very easy to say stuff like this when someone passes away, especially so young, but I've always had this memory of like my first ever football memory was Anfield 89 mm. and I was four. And I remember, it's a memory that I've had for so long that, you know, when your memories actually change over time and you remember, start remembering them slightly different to how they happen. Yeah. I actually checked in with my dad this morning just to say, did we do this or is it just yeah. a, a thing? <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was my first ever footballing memory, watching it with my dad. He let me stay up to watch it. And I was wearing the same kit, the yellow and navy. Mm. Classic. Socks and all, classic four years kit, old. Man. It's mm. way too big for me. <laughs> and I know it's become a quite classic click now, but I remember when he, when the free kick happened and his clenched fist and the kind yes, of, and there yes. was something in his eyes where I was just like, I love this guy straight mm. away. It was like really, a really strange thing as a kid, just being like, this is, I think maybe the first person that I idolized that I didn't know. He was the reason why I first wanted to wear number seven. Yeah. When I was a kid, he didn't seem to play football like anyone else that I saw in England, for example. He didn't. Mm. I mean, I was even thinking before coming on today about who, for young, you know, younger listeners, who you'd compare him to. Yeah. And it's really difficult because he had such a beautiful blend of mm. qualities and all of them were at the highest possible level. So his vision was mm. at a fantastically high level. His athleticism and power was like outstanding. His pure skill level mm. with the step overs and the, the drag backs and the drop of the shoulders and mm. feints to go past people and the dribbling was first class. His shooting, check out the goal he scored oh, at Anfield, Anfield in the same on, season on at the 89 right in the League Cup. Oh, my, my God. God. I love that goal. Oh. I watched it a million times. You know, he just rasps it. Mm -hmm. And not only was it a goal that was just a great goal of itself, it was a goal that really meant something because mm. at that particular moment in time where Liverpool was super, super dominant yeah. and Arsenal were kind of the young Tyros coming through. coming, yeah. They went up there and hadn't had a result at Anfield in years and gave them a proper game, like a serious game. Like Liverpool thought, hang on, who are these? Mm. Th these guys are good. And yeah. Rocky scores this absolutely staggering goal. He had absolutely everything you'd want in a footballer. and. Mm. If you say, okay, Bukayo Saka, for example, has got elements of, he comes from, he's got strands that, mm. that come through from that heritage. But the way Rocky had them was like yeah. mega multiplied <clears throat> in every it's, department. It's very interesting. Now that you say about trying to compare, you, you do try to compare him with anyone. You, you, you can't as a winger, listening to people like Van den Howe, the, 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 it was the one at Everton, the left back. Pat Van den Howe. Pat Van den Howe. You know, he was one of those that were always trying to kick people to bits. Um, and Rocky used to tell me about 
couldn't wait to play against him. He says he couldn't wait to play against Stuart Pearce. There was no players he didn't want to, didn't, he was afraid to play against because people don't realise when he was younger, he was such a hard person, like in respects of looking after himself and standing up for himself. And remember, we're talking about somebody who from a young age was the main, he was the patriot in his family mm-hmm. from a young age, looking after all his kids. He's had natural leadership qualities and he wasn't afraid of anything. And this is why I remember like when I tell the story, people constantly say, tell that story about you and Rocky on the bridge. And I get pictures from people where they, they're walking past Broccoli, where we used to meet. And they say, this is where Dave Rokas and Ian Wright used to meet. And we're talking about, like I say, a 15 year old telling me about, you know what I mean? Get your, get your fucking life together, bro. You know what I mean? You're wasting time. This episode is brought to you by Nutro Natural Choice Dog Food. Tail wags that could clear a coffee table. Getting a whiff of a new friend's behind. Chasing squirrels, even in their sleep. Everything dogs do, they do with everything they have. Nutro Clean Recipes gives them the energy they need to keep living their best life with recipes that help them give it their all. Made with non-GMO ingredients, except the trace amounts that may come in contact during manufacturing, Nutro Natural Choice makes it easy to feed your dog well. With no artificial flavors or preservatives and recipes that would make any dog drool, you'll both be doing a happy dance when you fill up their bowl. Nutro. Feed clean. Learn more at Nutro.com. Trace amounts may be present due to potential cross-contact during manufacturing. That game... That same game, the 89, because I remember Sean and um, Bradley were very, very young. I can't remember where Sharon was at the time, but they weren't there. And I had six beers and I sat them down and I moved the, the couch in front of the television, square on. This is for the, for the game. Um, and I remember speaking to Rocky like the day before and that, because the Wimbledon game before, Amy, where really dropped the ball Arsenal <laughs> in that game. And that's when they thought, well, we gave them a good run. Because Ian, what, I got I got badly drunk that night. I was honestly, still quite young and yeah. the only way I could cope. I, I, do you remember the appalling sort of version of, I don't know what it was. It was like rocket fuel called Thunderbird. It was some Thunderbird, sort of wine. that horrible wine. It was really Jesus grim. Christ. And I just remember that seemed to be the way to try and cope with cope throwing with the league away at home to Wimbledon. <laughs> How bad it was. No, but he phoned me because we spoke before <laughs> they were going up to Anfield because remember, what people don't understand is that that season, Arsenal played, they played, because remember Mercer's Merce was magnificent as well that season. We had t- players who were unbelievable. Martin Hayes, everybody, were brilliant that season. And they had a great season. Dave Rocaster had a great season. And he was saying, listen, we gave Liverpool a run and you know what I mean? We'll be back again today. And so you're sitting down, getting ready to watch this game, right, with the, with the six beers I had. And like, it was going and going. And you think to yourself, when it was 1-0, when it went to that bit where you said, right, where he'd done the fist, where it was like, come on! You know what I mean? He was coming back from the right-hand side in Liverpool's half, and you just see him just screaming it. And I remember because uh, when Steve McMahon done the one minute, and there was a different kind of vibe about Steve McMahon's one minute, because he was looking at everybody doing his one minute, and I used to love that when we used to sing that song, one minute, one minute. And like, you could see it because he had a little twinkle in his eye, like, one minute, but I know that we've really, we've done it really. And honestly... When Mickey missed the chance, but then obviously, and Mickey's a brilliant finisher as well from midfield. When he missed the chance, then he scored. I literally, tears just started to cry. And so, you know, then they held on, then it happened. Then you see 
Then you see the game finish and you see George Graham acting like everybody calm, fuck, everybody calm fucking down. <laughs> like George Graham. Even Pat Rice was losing shit. Honestly, everybody, everybody's losing their shit. You just looked into the, when you looked into the Arsenal crowd and it was just went crazy. And when you, that 89 video, when the, 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 the lead to the 89 video, when you heard the stories of people trying to get there, Amy Ryan, trying to, I've got to go, because they felt something. It was, it's just amazing because Rocky was saying, we're not fussed now because we gave them a good mm. run. We blew it. We blew it again. Because no one done that to Liverpool. No one went to Liverpool, you know, and like he says, and they tell the story, George Graham says, listen, we'll just keep it tight for the first half. Second half, we'll nick a goal. And then in the end, we'll just nick one late on, and you know, two nil. And they said that when he done that team meeting, they were laughing. But the point I'm making is, is that when he done that, he went to a, a kind of, he went to a kind of level in and around the area and in the, in the country. Obviously, people knew he's an amazing player and everything, but he went to a level in our area, what, which was almost like godlike. Because what he'd done from coming from where we were, you know, I mean, yesterday I had Mickey Thomas from South London as well and stuff like that. But what he done was it was out there in respects of unreachable. Because even when he was at Arsenal, when he signed, no one expected him from our sides to, to go where he went. and. I, like I say, it's you say about keeping it alive. I can't help it. It's keeping David Rocastle's memory alive and everything. And I'm pleased that Arsenal have jumped on like they have. And it's magnificent what they're doing. But I think about him every single day because I speak to his kids literally every other, every single day. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a situation where I find myself where it's, I'm so proud of everything, what's going on. It's, it's, it's a lot easier for me to deal with now because you, you can get into a certain situation, you do an interview and they dim the lights down and then they'll go, so Ian, David Rowcastle. And then bam, it just literally just falls out of me, the tears and the, and the emotions, you know, because I'm so proud of how his kids are growing up and what they're doing and everything he wanted them to do. So this for me is, it doesn't get any better. It literally doesn't get any better than this kind of um, respect he's getting and the fact that the fans, younger fans, know exactly what he's about. Can I just throw in a couple of things quickly, like on the admin tip? First of all, I would say that if anyone hasn't seen 89... Oh my God, you have to You see have that. to watch it. You have to watch it. And I watched it recently. I actually watched it with my friend who's a Brighton fan. He was bugging me for ages to watch it. I was like, why does a Brighton fan want to watch 89 so much? Mm. And then um, he was just sat there the whole time just with his, with his jaw open. Yeah. It's an absolutely incredible watch. I think the second thing I wanted to say, I think a lot of people who maybe weren't aware of the age dynamic within that squad who haven't seen the movie, was that mm. to contextualize that moment of Rocky's clenched fist and doing the like, come on lads, he'd only just turned 22 mm. at that moment. <laughs> 22 years old, and I think that's the thing with a lot of that squad that a lot of people don't realise, that they were all only like like Adams, yeah. Thomas, all of these guys, yeah. Rowcastle, 22 years old. Mm. I remember I, the first time I ever wrote a book about Arsenal, which was in 1997, and it was a book where you had to pick a kind of dream team. That was the, mm. the theme behind this book. And each player, I actually came to speak, I'm sure I spoke to you, Ian, as well, mm -hmm. about that I love the lads, 3-1 yes. uh, against... Tottenham being a mm. sort of symbolic moment in the history of the club. I went to see Rocky was on loan at Norwich at the time, trying to keep hold of that career when he was having so many yeah. troubles with his knees. And yeah. I went and met him in, I don't know, a, a small, it was a bit Alan Partridge-like actually hotel mm. in Norwich mm. to chat away about the game with the famous uh, Old Trafford brawl in 1990. Oh, yeah. And actually I'll always remember one of the things he said about that, uh, about that, which is great because he was, it sums him up as well, that kind of competitive streak of his, that game. If you watch it, there's a, a, a bit of um, 
historic rivalry between Brian McClare and Nigel Winterburn. Yes. And it kicks off and McClare's kicking Nigel on the floor while yeah. he's lying down. And first one there is David. Mm-hmm. And then it all, then suddenly there's 21 players having mm. a ruck. And uh, David was quite proud of the, what he called blood brothers sense yeah. in that team. You know, we all fight together. We, mm. That's what we do. We're there for each other. And he was like, when I saw Nigel down on the ground being kicked, like, I'm in. Mm. And uh, he said, uh, at Arsenal, we, ne- we never ever started any brawls, but we mm. finished them. <laughs> and that was kind of, I think, showed a lot about his personality, that he was, you know, he was so much for the team and yeah. he would give everything for the team all the time. Yeah. But he was a humble, polite gentleman first. Yeah. But yeah. if he needed to be, then the streetwise bit comes out. Yeah. But just, anyway, so we're there to talk about that particular era and that particular game. And I ended up being there all day. And once we talked about the Old Trafford game, mm. we just talked about Anfield because he wanted to for about three more hours. <laughs> and his love for that time, for that game, for that achievement, for the club, for all his guys was just so huge. And it was just fascinating that it wasn't like, you know, you'll know, Ian, if mm. you've got some, me- oh, it's different times. If you've got some media work to do, someone shows up, you do your interview. Yeah, and you go. Cheers, bye, see you later. And it was almost like he didn't want me to go. He just wanted yeah. to carry on talking about Arsenal for hours and hours and hours, as long as I was sort of willing to sit there. I totally get that because I remember, I remember driving in when, when the Leeds thing happened. That, that was one of the worst days in, in my football career. You know, because he was outside, obviously got called in early to be told that, you know what I mean? They've accepted a, um, an offer from Leeds. And I, like I say, it goes back to when I signed for Arsenal. I, I as obviously as, as happy as I was, if anybody could have been happier, it was him. We couldn't believe it. And I genuinely didn't, couldn't believe that we was only good. If somebody told me we was only going to have a year together, I wanted to play with him just for as long as I could play, play with him. So when that happened, it just flashed me back to all the love from the time he's been there, from the young guy being there and having to leave. He was devastated. I can't even tell you. I can't put into words how much he loved Arsenal and it rubs off on you. And that's why when you sit there with him in that hotel, he can continually speak about that because you're talking about a brothership with him and Tony and Michael and Merce and all the guys that came through when he came through Martin Keown that was really properly bonded towards this club and I think that for George Graham to get that generation of player you know what I mean that when I got to Arsenal they were already champions two times out of the last three years they were getting ready it was like an unbelievable dressing room to go into when I think back to get into Arsenal I still can't believe it so that when he left that year I was I was struggling I struggled for a, I struggled for the next six months when he went to Leeds can I ask you something Ian yeah Somebody mentioned to me the other day about you two and your time at Arsenal. And obviously when, when you came in, you were a different kind of personality, let's just say. <laughs> Look at that face, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And Rocky had this reputation for being like Mr. Smooth. You know, he handled everything. Yeah. Everyone looked up to him. Yeah. He was a solid guy. And his yeah. mate came in and was running riot. And they said... Mm that the only person who could calm you down when you got a bit head up yeah. was him. Yeah. Easily, Rocky. Literally. Didn't listen to anybody else. Obviously, Tony's a captain, but with, with Rocky, Rocky would be the one that would always say to me, especially when I first got there, 
he would say to me, listen, they're going to try and rile you up because they want to get someone sent off from here. And I remember when we'd done our, uh, when I signed and we'd done our five o'clock in the morning chat, he was saying, people will try to get you. People will try to get you sent off. You're, it's different here. You're more, you're more in the, you're more in the national consciousness now because we're Arsenal. He always, we are Arsenal. And it's one of those situations he could see if I'm getting, if I'm getting a little bit more heated up and wound up because it was a lot, a lot of stuff with me was, there was rage, just said rage from a young age. It was, it was rage. It was, it was always like that. So he would always, he'd always just calm me down and make me realize, you know, don't, don't let them get to you. Don't do it. Don't get angry. Because remember, it was a time where you could tackle defenders, especially away from home. Like I say, the man's been looking after me since he was 15 and I'm like four years older than him. He's constantly talking to me when we're away from home in my first year at Arsenal because playing like I played, you know, scoring the goals I was scoring, you know what I mean? It happened really quick where I was, I was just doing so brilliantly. I, I remember at one stage I had like six goals in three games, something ridiculous. And I was starting to be targeting and I was, I didn't realize that now, you know, everything I'd done was massive news because I'm at Arsenal and, you know, it's all over the back pages, whatever happens. And he'd always be talking to me, calm down. Just need to chill. Just have a couple of touches. Keep yourself going. Da, da, da. And you know what I mean? Don't take no notes of this. When people would hammer through me or try and tackle me, he would, he would let me know that we know, you know what they're doing. And then he'd have a word with that person and say, don't worry. Try and tackle me like that. Try and come into, he would you hear him arguing on the pitch saying, come and tackle me like that. Come in on me when I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. When you tackle me, anyone could fly through the back of someone. All that kind of stuff. And like, I remember when they did let him go, I literally lost my shit to George Graham, Tony Adams and everybody. And I remember Tony Adams having talked to me, Lee Dixon talking to me about, it's what happens. George Graham had to talk, it's what happens in football. People move on. But you know, when you're just not, I wasn't ready because I'm going into, I'm with David Rowcastle, we're at Arsenal. It's an unbelievable year. This is the year I'm thinking, yeah, we're going to kick on and try and win the league again. And then he's gone, driving into training like, and I know for a fact, he didn't know the night before. He couldn't have. I know that because he told me. He told me that day. I said, when did you find out? He said, literally just now. I was devastated. We're both crying. I mean, you two have got a lot more insight into the club than I have, but can you think of a sale since that's been as difficult for the club to okay? I just don't think there's something comparable, I hate to say. No. I think there are things that have similarities, like Seskel Van Persie or or whatever. Mm. And in many ways, I'm not just saying because you're here, but when Ian left, it was yeah, didn't go down very well. No. When the rest of the lads found out, because you know, it just kind of goes through. And remember, I saw Rocky crying. We was arguing and we was crying. And then he went in and then you have to do that thing where you, he'd done it and he, he, I, I could see it. I was dying inside, um, saying bye to the guys because he had to go and do his stuff. And like once he'd done all his stuff, da, 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 it felt like a death. You know, like some, you come into the training ground and you've heard that, yeah, someone's passed away. The way people were, the way people went about their business that particular day and training, the way training was the next couple of days and that, it felt like that. That's how it felt. Do you think that some of the players lost a bit of respect for George over it? Is that a fair comment? I mean, <laughs> in retrospect, I don't like it and I'll never like it because mm. everybody yeah. just felt that no matter what happened with yeah. his niece, he should have just been around yeah. for as long as, it, as he wanted to because the love between him and the club was so extreme and so pure that you just don't mess with it. Mm. Uh, But George took a ruthless football decision and looked at his knee. Very ruthless. Yeah. 
Gary Lewin said that, you know, his meniscus was a problem. The knee was degenerating. It was only going one way. So he did what he felt he had to do for the club, George, or for the team. You can argue Mm. whether that was the right, you know, whether that was too ruthless or not. But I wonder whether the players kind of found it difficult to forgive. I don't know. You know what, Amy? Um, Yeah, George Graham done that because it was all about the club with George and we learnt that. And as much as everybody respected him, because I respected him and I, I, I really expected him, the player that he made me once I got there and continued to grow, you almost felt like that generation of player that he brought through and gave the chance, he had them at his beck and call simply because he gave them the opportunity and they gave him the respect simply because of that. But when David Rocastle did go, you, you accepted it and the guys respected it simply because, like they said to me, this, that's what happens in football. It, it happens in football and people move on, but like there's sometimes you feel like, well, why did he have to move on? You know, with what he brought to the squad, what he, you know, how the players, how everybody felt about it. And I'm not just talking about the players. You know, you mentioned Lynn, you mentioned Joe, you mentioned all the ladies down at the, in the club, people in the, t- everybody throughout the club. And this is why I'm saying it felt like a death. When he was gone, it was devastating to everybody because of how he is. He was the one that said to me, Ian, it doesn't matter how many people, how many fans come up to you, whatever, give them your time, let them know because they, they'll remember that forever. And he's right because like people meet you and they say, yeah, I remember I met you in such and such and you said this and that and you signed my thing and you said, he said, they remember it forever. And he's the first person to tell me that. And you realise because that's the kind of person who is so giving of himself. He had time for absolutely everyone. Everybody, so giving. I've suddenly remembered a really ridiculous story. I can't believe I'm even going to say this. You have to. All right. It was 1990. Uh, Arsenal went on a pre-season tour of Sweden. It was when English teams and fans were banned from Europe. Mm. So actually going to watch a team in Europe, you weren't really allowed to at that time. And uh, there was about 30 Arsenal fans that went, like real hardcore, like, Special types, let's just say. Um, the man then. <laughs> and, uh, uh, listen, I, I include myself in that. So, uh, you know, it, it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun, but it was an opportunity to go and watch Arsenal away because it wasn't an official competition. It was just pre-season friendlies in these little no-horse towns, uh, mm. a couple of places uh, uh, in Sweden. And it, on the last game, there were three games, and then the last game is a funny little town called Varnamo. The guys decided to go in fancy dress. Not that anyone had any fancy dress because yeah. we've all just rocked up in mm. Sweden, but there's a few people wearing silly tops or wigs or whatever. Mm. And one of our friends decided to go dressed as a, a Egyptian mummy and put <laughs> like bandages all around his arms and legs. It was really hot. I mean, he looked mm. ridiculous. And we did a conga around this <laughs> ground, and all the all the local Scandinavian fans were quite respectful and well behaved and reserved and just sitting there quite happy to watch Arsenal against their local team. And then there was like 30 idiots like larking around doing a conga. And as we went past, because there was hardly anybody there, as mm. we went past the um, benches where the subs and the you know, players who weren't playing were, we were saying, come on, come and join the conga. <laughs> and the only one who was up for it was yeah. Dave. He just came and, and joined it. Yeah. Yeah. He just wanted to kind of, you know, just for a bit, he just got <laughs> up while he wasn't playing. And yeah. He wanted to give us that, to be part of something, you know. It's amazing. For us. He always had time for everybody. He just wanted to make people happy, I felt, mm. somehow. 
It's nature. It's nothing mm. to do with football. It's just it's him. Na- yeah. 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 I think this is the, the thing about how, you know, for example, you hear about a load of players who, who, who are absolute animals on the pitch. Oh. And then you hear that, oh, they're so lovely yeah. in real life yeah. kind of thing. But they're so, they're so gnarly on the pitch that you kind of like, how? Yeah. Even watching him play, even in his gnarlier moments, you could still completely understand that he was a total sweetheart and yeah. gentleman off it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the eyes, man. You know the thing with his eyes as well? <laughs> He's always <laughs> losing his contacts. His contacts are always getting... <laughs> That's why it's really funny when you say as well, Amy, about <laughs> we'll be out at night and then all of a sudden one of his eyes, we're looking for contact. He said, I've lost my contact. And you know, when you're talking about vision and everything, I've never seen somebody who, who had so many problems with his contact lenses. <laughs> Uh, but like he lost one on the pitch once. He lost one. I mean, <laughs> yeah, everyone was scrambling around looking for. It was like, what is going on? Honestly, I, you know what was it's really interesting when I listen to Pat Rice talk about him. Pat Rice always told a story. Cannot wait to tell the story about when they were youth team players and being very ruthless. Amy, have you heard the story? Absolutely, that, I love that. You players, the, the are, hand, the hand up, the hand up one, and it's unbelievable because, like I say, remember we're looking at somebody that's come from little old South East London. A turn um, on Roca State and Pat Rice, the, a, a great Arsenal, the unbelievable Arsenal legend. Um, is, you know, he's going in there and he's saying, you guys are costing us money. Do you realise you cost us money? Which one of you do you think is going to make it to be a professional? He said, one person put their hand up and it was David Rollcastle. And I, you know what I mean? That always makes me feel proud because like I say, I remember, and I'm not even joking, seeing him walking with his, with his, um, with Stephen, with Karen, his sister, and everybody, you're seeing him as the older brother, and you'd see them behind him, like, like a, a, a chicken and a, a little chicklets, whatever it is, in and around the estate when he was a young guy. The man knew everything about what he was doing, his leadership qualities, his responsibilities, and everything. Like, that's what I'm saying. He literally looked after me, looked after me from the age of 15. <laughs> You seem to look after everyone. I mean, yeah. you speak to Alan and he tells the story of how when he signed uh, some player of a year dinner and he didn't join straight away and Dave make, made a point of coming over and introducing himself yeah. and to Alan and his wife and saying, you know, welcome, pleased yeah. to meet you. Uh, yeah. you know. uh, Lee t- told a great story the other day about when he just got in the England team and uh, they were on England duty and for some reason had a bit of time off and he'd been talking to David and said, Dave, do you know anyone in sofas? I'm just moving house. I need a new sofa. And he's like, right. Dave took him over, off to World of Leather on Hanger Lane <laughs> during their time off from England duty and spent hours with him showing them all the, the sofas. And, mm. so, and Dave wrote, Lisa, do what? what? I'm not being funny, but why are you doing this like, on your time off? Yeah. You know? And he said, because you know, it's, you're making it now. It's important yeah. that you get the right sofa. You know, He just wanted to look after everyone, make sure everything was sorted. It's really, it's really weird when you listen to like someone like Tony, or Tony Adams, because it was really tight. They're very tight, them two. When you hear Tony speak about him, it's, it's, it's really deep, bro. He's, you know, when you hear Lee Dixon, Boldy, when you hear the guys talk about him, it really make, it really, you really feel it deep down. I feel it deep down, you know. Uh, can, I, can I tell us that there was a, because we obviously got uh, some lovely voice notes off mm. Tony Adams, Steve Bold. Lee Dixon, Alan Smith, Michael Thomas. Just while we're on that, by the way, the music that we used was by Zvar. Right. He kindly let us use that. Oh, that's nice. But there was a story that Michael Thomas said that once he uh, had just like done preseason and was looking in amazing shape, mm. and then he went to 
the Caribbean to go and visit some <laughs> relatives <laughs> and came back absolutely massive. I must say, podgy. <laughs> He did struggle. He struggled. And he said, and apparently Michael Thomas was just like, what the hell happened to you? Kind of thing. And he was just like, you try visiting that many relatives Honestly. in one day and getting fed oh. that amount of food. And I think this was really early on in their Arsenal career, I think. And he said that, um, he said he always called him Slim from there. That's on, Slim. Which is yeah. bizarre to slim. someone who never knew him because, of, because he was always in, he always, what we saw, he was always in incredible Ryan. shape. You know, he always looked amazing. No, he was one of those. He, if he ate a donut, you'd see it on him. <laughs> honestly he was that guy he was constantly working on himself but like we're talking about a family if you go like we used to after the games you go to his, his, his mother-in-law's and, and, and his Mrs. Janet's house and the food that you'd have to eat the food God almighty it's like Melissa now you know what I mean she's the one who's introduced me to a new shop and her and her, her, and her boyfriend Aaron Every single time I speak to her, she said, are you eating enough? Have you got enough food? I've got a new West Indian shop. I'm making dumplings. I'll bring them. You buy the food, I'll bring them. Literally constantly feeding you. And like we're talking about David, literally was one of those players. If he looks at a cake, he's putting on some pounds. Unbelievable. That's, that's, right. that's bizarre. I just would never have thought of that because he just always looked. Yeah. No, but he worked hard, Ryan. Incredible. Because yeah, he I mean, knew I'm, he worked yeah. his socks off on, on that. Because again, George Graham was somebody that was very, he's looking a bit, you know, he would say things like, looking a bit, a wee bit back there, David. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like that kind of, <laughs> sorry, what? Jeez, that's good, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I used to, I used to watch him and I used to think him a lot because I used to have a side look at him all the time. Some of the times, just side look. Because he would say something like that. And I know that Dave is something that he was working hard on. It would really bother him. You know what I mean? That's why it's, it's funny because, yeah, Mickey always called him slim. But that's what Jules Graham used to do. But in training, as well, after training and stuff like that, he would be the one. He'd go and do doggies. Doing something. Sweat, da, da, da. He worked so hard to make sure that he kept himself in shape, to be honest, right? Oh, that's amazing. I mean, I, we left, uh, uh, actually, there was a couple of really great ones. Lead, lead. And Lee's voice note, it was the sofa story as well. And in Alan Smith's, he told about the, the dinner as well. And, and yeah, Michael Thomas's, it was about the... Honestly. The, the pre-season thing, which I thought was hilarious. This episode is brought to you by EverEve. EverEve knows how energizing it can be to change up your look or just refresh it a little. Because when your style matches your spirit, it can shift your outlook and light up your day. Imagine an entire closet filled with clothes you love to wear. Because every single item is easy and chic and fits your body. Because you can be ready in under five and look like it took you an hour. Ever Eve is for women who want to feel comfortable and look put together. Who want real life ready fashion with just the right amount of edge. From tops with a twist to dresses that fit like a dream tees to rock, denim to live in, and the perfect length shorts that let you feel the sun. Visit EverEve.com or one of their 95 EverEve boutiques. Use code SPRING for 15% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by the Hyundai Santa Fe. Around the bend, across the pond, off the beaten path, there's a lot of ways to say you're going places, but only one SUV that helps you get there as a family. The newly redesigned Hyundai Santa Fe. 
It's the SUV made for getting out there and doing more together. Take the scenic route with available H-Track all-wheel drive and a suite of intuitive safety features for more peace of mind. Plus, you'll stay comfortable wherever you're headed with the Santa Fe's available premium Napa leather seating, generous room for five, and sophisticated interior styling. Learn more about the Santa Fe by going to HyundaiUSA.com. I wanted to ask you both, yeah. what's your favorite memory of him on the pitch? Is there a goal specifically no, no, no. or a moment? It's, it's, I think I know what right is might be. My, my my one was, was obviously Southampton. Yeah, I thought so. My first league game. Because remember, David was shepherding me through that early. I was petrified. I, I, keep, I keep trying to let, to explain to people to go to Arsenal for the 2.5 at the time. You know what I mean? Um, and it's only years later I heard George Graham say so, because he never gave me credit. Scored a hat-trick in the game. He still never said, he said, well done, good debut. Um, that's all he said to me, where I was like floating on air and, you know, it was, it was, I was petrified, never thinking that I was ever, it was, I was good enough to be at Arsenal. So I constantly had to prove that I was good enough. So to start like I did, and I, David was the only one who's saying, Dave, I just want to see if, I just want to make sure I keep the ball. I don't want to lose it. He said, don't worry about it, man. Don't worry. You know what I mean? Don't worry. Just play, just play. Your... And that's what he said to me against Leicester. And then Southampton, right, is the first league game. And obviously David scoring and me scoring a hat-trick. Like I say to people, the best football match I've ever played in in my life. It's my second game for Arsenal. I've only been training probably a week. And then you score a hat-trick on your league debut with your man. I remember, like I say, in the tunnel, he was in the tunnel. He looked back because we had the yellow banana bruise and the yellow shorts. With the yellow shorts. Only time well. we used that. Amazing. Only time Amazing. we used it. My God, if I think of it now, I remember myself being stuck on the wall because when I scored the hatchet goal, I went to the fans and they wouldn't let my arm go. And I was stuck on the, on the, like the fence. But I remember David looking at me in the tunnel and, and that's when he said, look at us, man, the Broccoli boys, man. Broccoli boys. And again, you know what I mean? You, you think back and it was just, fuck, I don't even know what to say. That was mine, easily. My a million miles. Nothing touches that. That picture of you being on the floor, doing the basically doing the Charlie George. I was doing Charlie and, uh, George. Rock, yeah, and Rocky Rocky coming over is honestly one of my favorite, I think favorite Arsenal images ever because it's kind of like everything. Like what's 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 encapsulated in it? The bruised banana kit mm. with the yellow shorts, yep. and it's just it's amazing, man. It's amazing. What's yours, Amy? Well, apart from the fact that it must be noted that that should be a statue. <laughs> by the way so you know the campaign okay, it, it's been mentioned before but we can keep it going Mickey Thomas um, any, just a sidebar if there's any statue Mickey Thomas would get Mickey Thomas is um, up, upside down like yeah, celebration when wonky. someone was slightly <laughs> wonky celebration when he was doing his stuff and then I think Martin Hayes bumped into him but if that's the statue I want to see go on well, Amy I'd go be on. quite happy with both to be fair mm. but uh, I'd say um, in a way, my favourite moment is that moment we discussed where he clenches his fist yes, at Anfield. Yeah. I, every time I see it, I get massive shivers every single time because um, it's just so him and it was so important and it was his favourite game and it's my favourite game. So there's a lot there uh, yeah. emotionally. But I'll give some a couple of honorary mentions as well. Um, 
the goal he scored at Villa Park, oh. where he loves the keeper. Yeah. But what I really, really like about that as well is I think it's Derek Mountfield, the Villa defender, ends up kind of tangled in the net. <laughs> <laughs> like, in the net yeah. It's... It was like watching a kid on a, on a on like an adventure park. Yeah, it's yeah. a beautiful thing to see a player entangled in the net, trying desperately to stop something. Yeah. Because you know the thing with him as well, Amy, he wasn't fussed about scoring goals, but every goal he scored was magnificent. Exactly, I know. exactly. Uh, that was magnificent, and I and I loved that one personally because it was a um, that was my first ever Arsenal away game outside London. So mm. it felt like rite of passage oh, stuff. Right, gone up. It was just before I think either Christmas or New Year, maybe. 30th of December, that kind of time on New Year's Eve in that 88, 89 season. And uh, so in that, they had a kind of thin terrace yes. behind the goal uh, at Aston Villa and he scored it into that goal. And it was kind of, you know, to my, for my favourite player to score that goal yeah. on, on a game that was like, and Arsenal would, I think they were just about hit top of the league around that time right. as well for the first time that season. So that was big. Mm. And then the other one that has to be mentioned yep. is the 1987 semi-final Tottenham White Hart Lane replay goal, which uh, I, I would say really was the trigger for a golden era of Arsenal. Mm. It mm. needed that goal, you know, yeah. Arsenal have been behind for all the, pretty much the entire tie. Um, yeah. First leg losing at home 1-0, second leg one, when it went a goal down again, came back to win 2-1 to take it to a, a replay and they yeah. tossed the coin for the replay and it was back to White Hart Lane. Lane yeah. The great thing that everyone remembers about that and I'm told Dave really took this to heart was when at half time the PA announcer at White Hart Lane was telling Tottenham fans how to get their tickets for the final. <laughs> I love them stories. I love and them And they heard it in the dressing room and you know, apparently David went round all the players like with that yeah. kind of fired up yeah. face that you, you, know, you can imagine clenched fists. Come on, we can do this. And he was really young then, back in, in 87, I think yep. still a teenager, maybe, yeah. maybe 19. 19, yeah. And uh, he, his left foot, which I don't think was his, fa was his yeah. favourite, <laughs> just ricochets out to him and he swung that left foot. And uh, it, was a, it was a real huge moment. What about you, Ry? Did you have a moment? What's your one? I've got one as well. The only addition to that, I think, is the chip against Manchester United. Absolutely has to be mentioned. Because it's just That's the, the one. goal that... I think because of the injury and if, if, if a lot of people who aren't aware of him will just go back and like see the highlights that you find, but then it's really hard to marry it up with yeah. his career if you actually look at it on as a breakdown, you know, why did he go there? Why did he go there? But I think this is the thing that if he didn't have the knee problem, yeah. we, I think, would have probably been talking about a one-club man yeah. and an all-time yeah. yeah. England legend yeah. because the ability to be in... Like Musa always explains, he always... Uh, says playing central midfield is like directing air traffic mm -hmm. control mm -hmm. whilst also trying to land a plane right mm -hmm. and if you think of where he is on the pitch at that time he's essentially playing center midfield yeah. at that point in the game and he does a step over cuts through a couple of players and in this like you don't even really mm -hmm. have time to process what he's just done mm -hmm. and he's already chipped Schmeichel not anyone mm -hmm. Peter Schmeichel at Old Trafford. But right, the two players he leaves in his wake is Paul Ince and Brian Robson. Brian Robson, I know. <laughs> Just literally. Yeah, it's kind of oh, like, it's, it's, so good. it's like beating the two final bosses yeah. or three if you include Schmeichel. Schmeichel. I know I'm talking to two people who knew him and stuff and watched him a lot, but I think for a younger generation now, I can't, I, I don't think I will ever be able to fully explain to people mm. how special he was. Honestly. As a fan, no. as, a, no. as a pure fan who never had any other connection with the club, 
there's something about him that will always remain different to other players. And the thing is, this that 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 era of you know, I like I say, Anfield was my first proper football memory, and that was my Arsenal fandom and also football fandom beginning. Mm. If anyone was would say your favorite five, you know, your top five or favorite five Arsenal players of all time. I think he's always, yeah. always going to be in there. So the people who I know. can't see anyone. The people who know, yeah. There may be players who have had better Arsenal careers, if you like, or they may continue to, there may be players who have quote unquote better Arsenal careers, but very few will be able to be that special. No. That's why, that's why every time, Amy, you, you hear the fans start singing, um, oh, Rocky, Rocky. Honestly, I, every time I'm there, it makes me, I, I, something happens inside. I just feel it. You just feel it to get that kind of um, affinity with 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 the with the fans because they knew what it meant to him, and for them to continually sing it. It's literally every game they'll sing it. They'll sing his name at some stage. I couldn't tell you. Um, I can't tell you. I should say, I can't tell you how much that means to me. Listening to them sing his name, I, I literally can't tell you. And I'm so pleased. Like I said, I'm so pleased he's been recognised for what he'd done. And he was the one. With that, uh, with the generation of the Adams and Michael Thomas, Michael Thomas, all those guys that really started under George Graham to take to take Arsenal back where they should have been, you know, it would be interesting to see how David would have felt about the latter stages of the Wenger era, you know, would have, you know, how he would have felt about Unai Emery stuff, how he'd feel about how we are now. Because we're talking about a pure football man, tactically, skill-wise, everything, and passion, and a proper fan of the club, you know? He might have been there. Because it was that thing that David Dean was saying that he was, they were talking about offering him a coaching role. Mm. Never know, man. He might have been... You know what, David Dean? You go to David Dean's house, he's got a mould of David's legs as a table <laughs> in his house. <laughs> have you seen it, Aim? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a picture actually. So I'll send it to you. Send it to Ryan. He's got, over. he's got a mold because David Dean's favourite Arsenal player ever is David Rowcastle. Mm. He said he used to go and watch him in the youth team and he used to go back and tell people, everybody, he said, we have got a Brazilian playing in our youth team. David Rowcastle. He tells that story about when his wife bought him a wallet where it's got a picture of Rocky in yeah. it instead of her. Yeah. <laughs> It's unbelievable. I mean, going going back to what we were saying before about like when like when he left, like that was the thing I think watching that documentary, like when he's talking about that transfer, mm. I can't remember seeing David Dean look that what's the word? Unrehearsed, yeah, yeah. let's say. It, it was the first time I think I've seen him genuinely, you know, like being like it's that's I think that's the one who maybe he regrets more than R- anything. Ryan, I'm I'm not joking. It literally like Lisa, it's something that um, no one was ready for. Mm. No one was ready for. The only person that for me would have been very like, okay, yep, that's going to happen. It's George Graham. No one else was ready for that move. I don't think George was really ready either. And I spoke to him about it not so long ago. Mm. And, you know, I think he finds it quite hard to talk about. He said it was one of the saddest things he ever had to do in football. And I don't think he did it because he wanted to. I think he did it because he felt he should. I mean, with hindsight, I don't think he would have done it. When I think, like I say, and I'll go again, and it just makes me feel so happy that, you know, 20 years on, you know, the memories and how people speak about David Rowcastle is so wonderful. And, you know, when you hear people say lovely things about people who have passed, think to yourself, really, could they have really been that nice? And, yeah, 
Yeah, I totally get it because he was amazing. I'm so proud of everything that he's, everything that he, he, he achieved from our young age up to the point where, you know, when you listen to people speak about him now, it's, it's beautiful, man. I just feel it's been such a pleasure to relive and re-remember and just enjoy and cherish everything that he yeah. was again. And I hope to keep doing it again and again and again for as long as I can. Because while it's fantastic to talk about all the football side and, you know, you mentioned Ryan about how he seemed to have this special quality as a player. Everyone who was blessed enough to be in his orbit will feel the same way, which is that how much, however much you love the footballer, you love the man, mm. you love the human being, you love the soul. He was such a fantastic person to ever sort of be in his company that it just, it feels so important yeah. to keep that side of things. Yeah, you know, That's why it's the whole deal. It's the whole package. It's the player and the human. And that, that was Dave. He was just a magic, magic, special guy. Beautiful, Ames. Thanks, man. You know, you know I loved him. We all did. Yeah, we all did. Yeah, we did. Can I just say thank you so much, guys? Amy Lawrence, Ryan Hahn, but like, I, there's, there's, there's not two people I'd rather in the world have, have done this with because anybody else maybe would have asked me questions that would have made me blub off into nothingness, into a, into a, a, a sniveling wreck. But, you know, it, I'm just, I want to honour his memory by speaking about him without continually crying. So thank you so much, guys. Come to the house and help me with it, helping me with that. It's such a pleasure. Oh, thanks, man. Thank you. See you again soon. Thank you again to Amy Lawrence. I know how much David Rocastle meant to her. That was very tough for me. Can't mention David Rocastle without something happening in respect to the waterworks. So I'm glad I got through that so as I can really remember him how he should remember as a legend and a wonderful man. So hope you enjoyed that. And um, I'll see you again next week.